Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Okay. Well, there's not much on here. None of us are recording a lot. This is Sunday night. The, uh, what? The 13th, 13th. Betsy? 13th. Is that what you I found out? I was reading your lips. And thank goodness. So it's the 13th. Hi, Julie. We miss you. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah. Do we ever is right. Okay, well, two weeks ago, when we left off, we were talking about this idea, the first should be last and the last should be first. And those, Jesus said, those who would be the rulers among you should be the servants. Um, In the kingdom of heaven, to me, it's like going through the looking glass. Everything is... Uh, a reverse of what we have in a material way in, in, in our own understanding and um, where in the world those who would be first fight to be first but in the kingdom of God those who would be first should be the servant of all right mm-hmm. and in the kingdom of God the way God sees things the first is our last and the last are first which actually puts everybody on the very same uh, plane um, and so we read the parable um, about the gentleman that went out in the morning and hired laborers and he brought him into his fields and then he went out and that was at 6 in the morning then he went out at 9 hired more laborers now the first group he agreed to pay them one penny a day for, for their labor the next group he said I will pay you what's fair And then he went out at 12, and then he went out at 3, and then he went out at the very end of the day, the last hour of the day, at 6, and hired more workers. And then at the end of the day, when they came to get paid, he paid everybody the same amount. And the people who were there first got upset, and they said, wait a minute, we were there all day long, you know. And the man said, well, you know what, it's my field. You made the agreement with me that a penny was fair, and so you got your fair pay. And um, I can pay people what I want after that. It's, it's up to me. You were not cheated. You know, you got what you, you, you got the reward for your work. And um, their viewpoint was a materialistic viewpoint from the world. Because we live in that time-space continuum. You know, we, we look at everything according to production levels, according to time spent, according to uh, outcome, right? Exactly. Tenure. tenure exactly <laughs> right, according to tenure. And we, we look at everything from a material measuring point. But God doesn't look at it that way. He absolutely lives outside of the time-space continuum. Materiality has no concern to him. What concerns him is purpose and um, accomplishment in the kingdom of God, which is immeasurable in a material sense because God's measuring stick is different than our own. So when God is saying the first shall be last, 
and the last shall be first. When you think about that in a material realm, you think, well, yeah, the big dog's going to come right down here, you know, and just because I'm low, I'm going to be raised up. And that's the way we look at it. And, um, the, and the chiefest shall be the servant of all. We look at it as the kingpin being dropped down to a servant's level, right? But that's not the way God looks at it. God looks at it according to purpose and design. And that's it. So every person in the kingdom of God is a unique individual, a unique human being. Everybody is designed for a purpose. And at the very beginning of time, before he ever said light be, he knew each one of us in the spirit realm. We existed in him in the spirit realm. He had written down in detail. That's why all the books are open when judgment comes. is because every life is written down in detail in God's plan. He's not surprised at what we're doing. You know, he doesn't go, oh my gosh, how'd that person get there? He is never surprised by that. He knows your nature because he gave it to you. He knows the way you think because he built you. But he built you with a purpose for himself. Um, I was kind of thinking about this this past week. I was thinking about Pharaoh with the children of, of Israel in Egypt. And um, God had told Moses, he says, now you know that when you go in there, um, I, I'm going to harden his heart. You're going to tell him things, but his heart is going to harden. And for years, you know, I thought, well, that doesn't seem very fair for God to harden his heart. But what God was saying is, is I made this man for my purposes. I made this man, you know, so that I could use him. Um, how many times did he use men? Look at Nebuchadnezzar. As hard-hearted as Nebuchadnezzar was, God used Nebuchadnezzar. Look at, um, uh, you know, when um, um, when the Babylonians were wiped out and in came the Mede-Persians, there was, um, I can't even say his name. Cyrus. Cyrus. God used Cyrus, you know. And um, so God has a plan for people. And God had a plan for Pharaoh. If Pharaoh had just blessed those people and let them go, Egypt would have continued to rise. Egypt would have continued to be blessed. And that was God's intention because he loves the Egyptians. And he loved Pharaoh. But the very nature of Pharaoh um, and the heart of Pharaoh was known to God. So God knew that just by his very nature because of his pride and arrogance, when God says, let my people go, he was going to react in a negative way because he thought he was a God. That was his mental understanding. So God wasn't saying, I'm going to harden his heart on purpose. He's just saying, now Moses, when you go in there, would you tell him it's going to tick him off? And it's going to make him want to dig in because he's a stubborn, prideful man. And But I want you to tell him because I want him to have the choice. I want him to know that I mean business, but I'm going to give him opportunity after opportunity after opportunity. Twelve opportunities he had before God lowered the boom. boom. And um, um, he said, I just want Pharaoh to let them go. Had Pharaoh let them go, 
he would have been blessed. Egypt would have remained blessed. And um, there would have been a, a symbiotic relationship between the Israelites and, and the Egyptians, which, you know, that peace and harmony is a God thing. But it was the heart of that man um, that God knew was going to just get tougher because of his nature. But God created him to be a strong man and intended to use him to bless Israel. But he didn't. He didn't. So he messed up. So every one of us was designed uniquely, just like Pharaoh was, to... To do, a, to do what God needs us to do in the world. And every job is as important as every other job. You know, if you're a stay-at-home mom, God intended for you to stay home and be the best mom you can be. If you're working in an office, God intends for you to be the light in that office. You know, if you're retired, I'm not really sure what he intends for us to do anymore, but just whatever it is, we're going to let our light shine, you know? Eternity will come. There you go. There you go. You know, we are just to be um, that good old mason jar on the shelf so that when God opens the cabinet, he can pull down that mason jar and use it for whatever he needs. That's what we are. You know, and we want to be that willing vessel. But in God's kingdom, this is it. He doesn't measure by the amount of work you do, but rather by whether or not what you are called to do was done. So when we when we face judgment, when it's you know in in First Corinthians when it talks about everybody's works are going to be tried by fire, they're not going to be tried according to every other work. They're going to be tried according to what was written about you in the book. Um, so you don't have to compete with Billy Graham. You don't have to compete with Kenneth Copeland. Um, those those men were called to a specific job. They had a specific calling on their life. Reinhard Bonnke. Okay. But, but that's not going to reach the entire world. And it isn't going to turn it inside out. If you look in, um, if you look in the book of Acts, you see more people just running alongside a, um, you know, uh, I see people like Philip running alongside a chariot and jumping up in with a eunuch and teaching him and then going off to do something else, ministering one person at a time. That story, that story made scripture, you know, and we have no idea what the impact from the eunuch was, but that story made it into scripture. And he just disappeared from the scene. Too. That's exactly that right. Dramatic. That was dramatic. That is exactly right. So I don't think that Philip and what he did is going to be measured in the same terms that that Billy Graham is going to be measured in. Okay? Billy Graham preached to millions and millions. Yes. But was that more important than what this one unit, uh, what, what this one action of Philip was for this unit? No. They're of equal importance in God's sight because that's what God intended for him to do. So when we start looking at the kingdom of heaven and, and we're saying the greatest should be the least and the least should be the greatest, the chief should be the servant, right? It doesn't mean that anybody's being put down, but what God is saying is I'm, you cannot use worldly measures to measure what I see. You can't do that, okay? So um, this in the story... Every man was called forward and every man received equal pay. But when you think about it, the importance of that is this. The laborers who started at 6 in the morning are going to be running out of steam by noon. 
So you have somebody that comes in and helps to pick up the load, which lightens the load on those earlier men so they're able to accomplish more. And so it goes all through the day. As one group would run out of steam, the next group would be there to lift them up. You know, and to, and to perpetuate it so that the owner of the land got his maximum harvest, you know, um, and at an agreed wage. And the last man that was hired was as equally as important as the first. So what does that look like in the kingdom of God? If you just go back to the New Testament, um, look, at, look at the book of Acts. Um, the the disciples going out and preaching all over the world. Well, and then the gospel letters being written and Paul's ministry. Um, they only live in an infinite amount of time, in an infinite countable number of years. But they were the first ones hired. Okay, they were the first ones hired. Now, if um, if they had been called to work. At the end of their life, it would have been over. That would have been the end of anything else that happened. But all through history, God keeps going out and calling more laborers into this effort so that we can pick up the work that Paul did and project it into the future. So that each generation is taking what was started and pushing it forward into the next generation. So that what we do, maybe we're on the end of the age, and Paul was on the beginning, but what Paul started, we're still perpetuating. We're still holding it up. If we weren't, the harvest on the end would die and fail miserably. And God intends for there to be a great harvest at the end of the age. So when God measures what we do, He knew when you were going to be born, he didn't just go, oh my gosh, I don't think I remember planning that. Just showed up, you know, popped up out of nowhere. No, he designed each one of us uniquely to be alive right now. He put us in a certain place and he has brought people into our lives. He has brought circumstances into our lives. And what you and I have to do where we are is, is important in the kingdom of God. I don't know what it is. I'm looking at what we're doing and thinking this is like nothing compared to these big ministries. And I think one of the biggest mistakes that Christians are making now as, as teachers and preachers and what have you is measuring their ministry against someone else's. Um, I've been reading some really awesome books lately. Oh, and I have your magazines. They're wonderful. Thank you. Um, <laughs> Um, but the point is we have gotten into this thing where we count people. Every week we fill out the pew pads. Every week we count the number of people that show up. We have to report to, to um, conference and to the bishops and to everybody how many people have been added to our roles. How many, you know, is your church growing? Is it not growing? And that is that quantitative measure is not what God is looking at. Um, he is looking at the quality of what's going on. And um, so I have gone back to the book of Acts. And I've just been reading through it again. And you know, that they were little tiny house churches. 
Now, there were a couple of times, you know the story of when, um, I think Paul was, or Peter was teaching. No, Paul. And the room was so full, somebody was sitting on the ledge and fell out the window, you remember. But that was still in somebody's house. It wasn't like a church with 10,000 people sitting in an amphitheater. You know, it was in somebody's house. And um, they went from house to house church to house church to house church. Did they go into synagogues? Yeah, but synagogues weren't as big as the temple. Just little community churches where they went. And yet what they did was turn the world upside down. So instead of looking and trying to measure what we do as compared to somebody else, we need to just be sure that where we are, we're turning the world upside down. Um, Aquila and Priscilla were tent makers. And they didn't have a church. They didn't have a big pulpit, but they made scriptures why? Because they were open to have Paul live with them. They were open to teach people where they were. People would come to their home. They ministered. They didn't travel all over the world. And I think because of TV and radio and everything else, we've begun to see ourselves as less than we are. So in the kingdom of God, in, in God's eyes, you are no less important than Billy Graham. You are no less important than Kenneth Copeland. You are no less important than Reinhard Bonnke. You are as important because what you're doing, they can't do. Mm-hmm. Kenneth Copeland cannot come into Bedford County and live among the people here and do what we do. That's not his calling, but that's our calling. And yet he feeds us. And yet he feeds us, right. And what do we do? We turn around and feed somebody else because we've been fed. And, and so the cycle goes on. And um, so I think one of the biggest things about walking in this kingdom life, I mean, for Jesus it wasn't, you know, it wasn't the same issues, but it was the same humanity, the same thing. You know, well, I'm not a rabbi. I'm not a, you know, I'm, I'm not a, a, a leader in the temple. I'm just a you know, ordinary person struggling with my own problems and, you know, who is God to look at me because I'm a nobody. And Jesus is going, no, you're you're very important in God's kingdom. He has plans for you. And um, so we need to, to step back from that and realize that, that what we do is important. So, things just to kind of look back. This is review, but, you know... Um, Everybody has a job to do. No man can do every job. And only you can do the job that you're called to do. Nobody else can do it. Okay? Every person is important. The next is, what is your attitude about your labor? Um, you know, or do you view it as a drudgery or a blessing? When you, what is your heart attitude about it? If it was all business with these guys who were who started at six o'clock in the morning and they're all ticked off because they only got a penny and the guys at the end of the day got a penny, you know, what was their attitude about the work they were doing? Was it a blessing to them or was it a drudgery to them? It was obviously a drudgery. So they got their pay and went home. But if you and I look at it and we look at what we do in the kingdom as a blessing in our own lives, the pay is far more than the penny. You know, um, it's ample. And when we when we get to the end of our lives and we're judged, well, in fact, just go to 1 Corinthians. 
let's just start right there. First Corinthians chapter three. Paul's talking about this very thing. At this time in Corinth, people are starting to look at people's work. You know, like, oh, well, I got saved under so-and-so's ministry, and I got saved under so-and-so's ministry, and I, I followed this person, and, you know, don't listen to that person. Listen to this person. And um, it's a constant struggle even today. No, nothing's changed as far as that goes. Um you know, we just, and I'll give, this is a prayer request too, but um, pray for the prison ministry, you know. We're all brothers and sisters in the Lord, but there's a, a group of Christians who have come in through another ministry, not through the chapel ministry, and they have begun to um, undermine what we're doing. You know, they said the only Bible that is a real Bible is a 1611 King James translation. They wanted to take up all of the new King James Bibles that we've given out. Take it, you know. So what's happening then is there's this clash that's going on. Okay. So rather than looking at the the point of what Scripture is, is which to get people delivered. Mm -hmm. You know, we're more worried about the legalism of it. We're more worried about, you know, um, right the format. So they're going. I'm of the of the old 1611 King James. When they are of the new King James, Mm -hmm. and we are of this, and they are of that. Okay, and and that's divisive in the body, and it's and it's a hurtful thing, and um, you cannot look. At somebody else's ministry, you need to look at what you're doing. And you need to look at it in terms of how God wants to use you. And that's what Paul is saying here. He says you can't um, measure what you do by somebody else. And you can't determine somebody else's work. You can't judge somebody else's work. Um, And there are a lot of things that I'd like to judge, you know. But look at Saul. He was a sorry king. I mean, he was sorry. And to me, David had every right to just kill him. After how he treated David and tried to kill him so many times. But you know what God told David? Don't touch my anointed. Saul had an anointing on his life. And David had no right to judge it. I would have had a real hard time with that. (laughs) Um, I would have taken more than the edge of his, the hem of his garment if I'd been closer, I think. But, um, mm-hmm. oh yeah. So when we start to look at um, your what you're called to do, what I'm called to do, we have to stop it. We have to just stop that. And you have to be concerned about your relationship with the living God and what he's calling you to do. And, and don't worry about what anybody else is doing. Just be sure you're doing what you're called to do right. Just do it right. God's way of doing it and being right. And Paul's speaking to this in Corinth because the Corinthians are split wide open um, over this stuff. Look at verse 1 in chapter 3. And I, brethren, could not speak to you as spiritual, 
but as carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. And they should not have been babes in Christ. They were spirit-filled Christians. They were baptized in the Holy Spirit, this bunch in Corinth. They had all of the gifts flowing and manifesting among them. They should not have been babes. Okay? But they were. I have fed you with milk and not with meat. For hitherto you are not able to hear it. Neither yet now are you able. For you are yet carnal. See, we're still looking at things with our flesh eyes. We're not living out of the kingdom of God. We're still living out of this material kingdom of heaven. For you are yet carnal. For as there, whereas there is among you envying and strife and division, are you not carnal and walk as men? For while one says, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are you not carnal? Who then is Paul? Who's Apollos? But ministers by whom you believed, even as the Lord gave to every man. That is a really important question for you and I right now. Um, who is Paul? Who is Apollos? Other than those that were called to do a job. But your job is as important as theirs. So you don't look to one man over another as being greater than another. You take what they do and you run with it and do what you're called to do with it. Paul builds, somebody else lays another foundation, you know, and, and Paul's going to talk about it here in a minute. Let me just go on here. I've planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither is he that plants anything, nor he that waters, but God that gives the increase. We have gotten so used to looking at TV evangelists. We're looking at all this stuff out there, these great people writing books and magazines as if they are um, the cat's meow, you know, whatever you want to say. But, but the truth is they are planters, they are waters, they are farmers just like you and me. Yeah. And, and wh whether or not you're planting here or there, it doesn't matter. Okay? We're all farming. That's what we do. And only God can give the increase. I just love that little parable where God says, you know, the guy, the farmer goes out and he plants those seeds. And he waits day and night. And it's the life in the seed that brings forth. The farmer doesn't know how the thing comes up. The farmer doesn't know how that works at all. Just by faith, he nourishes it takes care of it, and then brings in the harvest. So every bit of it's important. Nothing is not important. And that's what Paul's saying. He says, I'm just the planter. Paulo's watered thing wouldn't have come up without water, and would it? Okay. So then neither is he that plants anything, or neither he that waters, but God that gives the increase. Only God. Now, he that plants and he that waters are one. And every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. Okay, do you see that? This is exactly what that parable is about. Every man receives his own reward according to his own labor. Um, these big television evangelists do not have a brighter crown than you do. They don't have a bigger crown than you do. Because you're not judged according to their ministry. You're judged according to what God called you to do. And your faithfulness is going to determine your, your rewards and your crown. 
not not somebody else's. So we have to get over this idea that, oh my gosh, well, I'm not Billy Graham. I can't do that. I can't, you know, I'm not this or I'm not that. What are you? You're a planter. You're a waterer, you know. You're a hoer. You're a weeder. You're a whatever. Some of them are harvesters. But whatever it is that you're called to do, and whether you're called at the ninth hour or whether you're called at the first hour, it doesn't matter. Because the reward is the same because that's what God measures. He doesn't measure material, quantitative, productive outcome. He does not measure that. He measures spirit. I was going to say another analogy more up to date than farming would be a cog in a machine. Yeah. Without the cog, the machine's not going anywhere. It doesn't matter how great the machine is. No matter how many cogs there are. That's right. That's exactly right. And um, so we have to be able to see ourselves as being that important in the kingdom. To, you know what that did for me? It made me feel, it made me, um, when I, I mean, you know, I knew that in my mind. But when I started thinking about that, it made me more determined to be the best little cog I could be. Because mm -hmm. if my cog doesn't work, using your example, then the machine's not going anywhere. And that's what's wrong with the church. We're limping along now with a lot of cogs not working. You know, and people are going, oh, I can't be like so-and-so. We're too busy worrying about what somebody else is doing and not worrying about what we ought to be doing. And the thing is, is what you're doing is every bit as important. Every bit as important as what somebody else is doing. Um, the last should be first. The first should be last. And um, the greatest in the kingdom will be servant of all. It's so important. Okay, now back into this scripture. Um, verse 9. For we are laborers together with God. You know, you, you don't labor alone. You're not out here by yourself for God. You are a laborer together with God in the field. For you are God's husbandry and you are God's building. According to the grace of God which is given unto me... As a wise master builder, I've laid a foundation. And another builds thereon. But let every man take heed. So, you know, just think about it like this. Paul went in and he laid the foundation. And when he would leave, he would leave pastors in charge there. Called pastors. And what did they do? Were they, they didn't, their names didn't all make it in the book. Timothy did. A few of them did. But not a lot of the pastors that he left in charge did. And yet, they built on his foundation or else the church would have fallen. And it didn't. And so, um, is Paul more important than the men that perpetuated what he started? No. Every, every man was as important as Paul in the process. Okay. Um, but let every man take heed how he builds thereon. For other foundations can no man lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if any man builds on this foundation, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, a stubble, every man's work shall be manifest. For the day will declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire will try every man's work of what sort it is. It doesn't say anything there about comparing your work to anybody else's. It's just when you go before the Lord, He has your whole life written out. He has your calling. He knows what you were called to do. 
your your works are going to be measured by what you were called to do and what you were designed to be not according to what somebody else was done every person is accountable for their own calling and we belittle our own selves to the point that we are not uh, bold in doing the things that we need to do sometimes in the Lord because we go who am I who am I to do that yeah I'd just like to read something for a minute. Sure. This is from the Good News Bible. Okay. This is in verse 10. I think this is very vital for all of us. It says, But each one must be careful how he builds. Amen. And I've learned that. Believe me, I've made a lot of mistakes. Haven't we all? Yes. Haven't we all? Yeah. And and I'm really constantly still learning. Sure. You know, still mm-hmm. learning. Yeah. Good point. And, and that's really important. And that's exactly right. And and we are conscious of our own mistakes. Our own building work. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, that's exactly right. We're not comparing what we do to somebody else. But what is it that you and I are laying as a foundation for ourselves and for other people? Um, and so God is not concerned about m- measuring what we do according in comparison to other people he measures according to what he's called you to do he created you to do he created you to be and then your work will be tried by fire okay now look at verse 14 if any man's work abide which he has built thereon he'll receive an award, a reward do you think my crown for what I did is going to be any less glorious than a crown that that um, that um, Kenneth Copeland gets, or Reinhardt Bonnke gets. No, no, n- no. The crowns are the same. The rewards are the same. It's just that you're going to be rewarded for what you are called to do if you did it faithfully. And that's the way it is. If any man's work shall be burned up, he shall suffer loss. I think that we'll probably all suffer some loss here. I don't think everything we've ever done in the kingdom of God is going to make it through that fire. When I say to that is thank you Lord. You know. But he himself shall be saved. Yes so as by fire. So you're not a lost person. You are still equally important in God's eyes. But what we do will be measured according to what we were called to do. Not according to what somebody else says. So what we need to do, Paul doesn't want you to think more highly of yourself than you should. But God doesn't want you to think less of yourself than you should. You know, that what you're doing is not as important. It is. It is that little cog. That's just such a great picture, Nance. That's a great one. Um, So when you start to think of of, um, what you're doing, it's real important that um, um, you understand that that you are uniquely called to do whatever it is that you're doing where you are at that moment. Nobody else is called to do that. Nobody else is called to that little spot at that little moment. Whether it's a phone call, a letter, a person on the street that you meet, whatever that little thing is, you're the one called to do it. You're the one called to minister right there. Nobody else in the entire universe has that calling. So what are you going to do with it? And it's as important to God as anything else. It is important. Okay. It's, uh, go to Matthew 9. 
just kind of staying in this vein for just a few more minutes. Matthew 9? Matthew chapter 9. Yeah. Okay, bottom line, every day, every hour, the call goes forth for laborers. That's what I want you to know. And, um, the call is always coming in your direction. Alright, look at verse 35. And Jesus went all about the cities and the villages, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among them. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep, having no shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. So you and I, whether we were called, um, you know, whenever we were called, um, need to go into the harvest when we're called. And the pay for us is no different than the pay for Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, even though they started it. It's just without us, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John do not perpetuate into the future. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John do not get sown and re-sown into the lives of people today unless we do it. So what they did was very important. It was the foundation. But if we're not there to build on the foundation, I don't care. You know, if Jesus comes tomorrow and we're only here a few years and John was here till he was 100, I don't care. That's not the deal. It's, it's not time, space, material, production, anything else. It's just where are you in um, God's calling on your life? It's just that simple. And um, to me, this has been one of the most, um, one of the coolest perspectives for me. Because, um, you know, sometimes I get, I get discouraged a lot. You know, sometimes you, you show up for prayer group and there's like three of us or you, you you come to Sunday school and half of them half the people aren't there or you you know you go so Lord what am I doing wrong and and, and that's not the issue that's not the issue um, what he's saying is is if one person's there then just teach like your hair's on fire that's that's what he's saying not go get ice cream right or go get ice cream yeah that's the <laughs> that's the alternative right on but um, I like that too. <laughs> That's called fellowship. Okay. <laughs> nice point, Nancy. Thank you for pointing that out to me. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <coughs> so, anyway, we just have to know that we, in, in the kingdom of God, we live outside of that time-space continuum in the spirit realm, in heavenly places. So we don't measure things materially. We don't measure things from a worldview. It's not paid for production. Okay. Every little piece is important. Um, and I look at Paul. I mean, it, you know, I look at these guys. 
Paul says, I was the least of the apostles. And in man's eyes, he probably was. He was the last one called of the twelve. And he'd murdered a whole bunch of Christians before that. So, you know, in, in production, <laughs> I'd say he started off as the least. But, but in God's eyes, God's already looking at, at the end of the time. And he's seeing how the word that, God, that Paul preached way back 2,000 years ago multiplied through labor after labor after labor along the way has brought in this tremendous harvest. So we have to get our minds in a different mindset, okay? Doesn't matter when we're called. It has nothing to do with anything. Um, it just matters that we were called. Um, now look at Matthew 25. This is one more um, parable that um, we read last time, but I, I just want to look at it again because I want to show you um, uh, that... In the first parable we talked about, everybody was doing the same work. They were in the field working together. But in this second one, people are not called to the same uh, amount of, same quantity, material quantity of work, okay? So instead of saying one guy's given ten talents, maybe you could say one guy was preaching to millions, one guy was preaching to hundreds, one guy was preaching to one at a time, right? Okay, if you want to do that. But that's not the way God even measures that. God has given each one of us. And I'm reading these books that are so fantastic. Caroline Leaf is, you know, for 20 years I've been working on brain research and talking about God and, and, and our thoughts and light and all that. Dr. Caroline Leaf is just, she is spectacular. I just I heard her on TV a few weeks ago and I thought, oh my gosh. She's just saying what I say and confirming what I've done. And I, I did it. I started from an educational standpoint with this um, and accidentally stumbled into Scripture. That's the way I got into it. She is a neuroscientist of some kind. So she, you know, she's just into that brain state. But she is a spirit-filled, born-again Christian. And she has just related so beautifully how, you know, how we're made to function in both realms. You know, in the spirit and in the flesh and how it all ties together. Um, her things are amazing. Has she written books? Oh, yeah. She's got um, one is Who Turned My Brain or Who Switched My Brain Off. Oh, that's right. And, um, yeah, and um, uh, The Gift Within You. And um, what's the other one? How to Turn Your Brain On. Um, but, but she talks about things from like the genomic... Uh, foundational building blocks of your whole body. Mm -hmm. You know, everything. She's very, very amazing. Way smarter than me, but she's talking my language anyway. And one of the things that she talked about is is what we're talking about in these two parables. The first parable that we talked about um, measured the time worked, the labor, right? And how everybody got the same pay for different labor. Um this one speaks about the laborer in particular. And we struggle with this as well. Um, in fact, I think this is a bigger struggle for us than the other. Because, oh, he has ten talents. He has five talents. I only have one. So I'm obviously not very important. You know? So That's try. right. That's right. But what I want to show you is 
how God looks at this, okay? Um, okay, look at verse... Um, start with verse 14. Is that where I, mm-hmm. is that where I want to be? Okay, yeah. Somehow, my brain shut down. Okay. Um, the kingdom of heaven is as a man traveling into a far country who called his own servants and delivered unto them his goods. And unto one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one. To every man according to his several ability. And straightway took his journey. I would say according to his several anointings. According to the life plan that God had for their lives. Okay? Then he that received the five talents went and traded with the same and made them other five talents. And likewise, he that had the two, he also gained other two. But he that had received the one went and digged in the earth and hid his Lord's money. And after a long time, the Lord of those servants came and reckoned with them. And so when he had re- the one who had received the five talents came and brought other five talents, saying, Lord, you delivered unto me five talents. Behold, I have gained beside them five talents more. And the Lord said to him, Well done, you good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. So what was his pay? He was paid in rulership. I will make you ruler over many things. That was his paycheck. Okay? Enter into the joy of your Lord. He also said um, that I received two talents. Uh, came and said, Lord, you delivered to me two talents. Behold, I have gained two other talents besides them. And his Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. One had five talents. One had two talents. But they were both paid the same. The reward was not according to how many talents or how much was done with them, but rather his their faithfulness in their calling. One was called to steward two talents one was called to steward five. Does it matter? No. Because in the end, they are both ruler over much. Paid the very same thing. And entering into the joy. And entering into the joy of the Lord. Now, the man with the one talent, if he had taken that one talent and done something with it, he too would have become ruler over many things. The pay would have been the same. But this man went, oh, I'm not as good as those other guys. I'm just going to bury this talent. I'm going to bury this calling um, because it's not an important one. So I'm not going to do anything with it. I'll just hold on and and I'll believe. And then when the the guy comes back, I'll give him back what he gave me. You know? Um, So then he which had received the one talent came and said, Lord... I knew you that you were a hard man reaping where you would not sown and gathering where you had not straw. And I was afraid and I went and laid your talent in the earth. And don't we do that? I was afraid. I'm not as good as Billy Graham. I don't have five talents. I wasn't given two talents. I just have one measly little talent. So what can I do with that? Oh, I couldn't possibly, you know, do what they do. So what do you do? You dig a hole and you bury the sucker. And we do that all the time. All the time. 
And I, I want to kick myself. How many opportunities have we had to minister to people? And we just said, oh, they'll think I'm crazy. I can't do that. Now, if I was Billy Graham, I could sit on the plane and do that. But, I mean, who am I to do that? And we bury that talent. Okay, we bury that talent. So when we had the opportunity to be paid in great rulership, we lose it all. Just runs right through your fingers. And that's because he was looking at not what what he could do with what he had, but looking at um, the results of everybody else and how his was not important and, and he couldn't possibly do what everybody else had done. That's judgment. It's judgment. That's right. And we judge ourselves exactly. just exactly the way we judge other people. And I was afraid. Look at verse 25. He said, I was afraid. Okay. And I went and hid to the talent in the earth. And lo, there you have that which is yours. <laughs> and the Lord answered and said to him, You wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I sowed not and gathered where I have not strawed. You ought therefore to have put my money to exchangers then, and at my coming I should have received my own with, with interest. Take therefore the talent from him and give it to him which had ten talents. Um, for to everyone that has, and that means everybody that has ears to hear, everybody who has comprehension, for everybody who has been given the gifts and done something with them, shall be given, more shall be given in abundance. But to him that has not, who has not taken the one talent that he's got, who has not taken the calling and done anything with it, you know, even, even that which he was called is going to be taken away from him. So, so this, that kingdom attitude is really important. As we go forward and we're going to start looking at what it is to, to answer, to, to, to see that prayer answered. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's us. That's, God has to work through us to get that done. And if we are not in the right place at the right time, something is going to fall by the wayside. And, and we have to understand that everything that we do is important. What if the one person that you pray for that gets healed, you know, maybe just one, gets healed, that person's testimony reaches how many thousands of people who then come to know the Lord? If you didn't pray for that one person, how do you know what's going to fall down the line? You don't know. The one thing that you can do, you need to do it. You need to just do that one thing. You don't have to do a lot and you don't have to get overwhelmed. So we need to invest everything that we have in the kingdom of God. And the way you do that is to go right back to the very beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, which is talking about how you operate in the kingdom of God. And it's a heart set and a mindset. You have to be poor in spirit, meaning you have to be desperate so that you are grabbing at Anything that comes your way from the kingdom of God. You have to live in that sense of, of um, always being in, in a place of need, desperation for everything God's got for you. Then you have to have that um, meek spirit. You have to realize that you, um, you can do nothing without him. And once you realize that and then you yield to that power, 
then he's able to use you mightily. Paul says, I, I rejoice when I'm weak, when, I, when I'm infirm, when I can't get things done. Because when I'm weak, that's when God shows himself strong. So you have to stop being strong in yourself and determining, well, I guess I better just bury this talent because I don't want to lose that. You, you make that talent available and God's going to figure out how to multiply it for you. He'll take you there. Then you have to be hungering and thirsting. And that means you have to be um, rumbling in the fridge all the time. You have to be in the Word. You have to be in His presence. You have to be worshiping. You have to be thinking about Him all the time. Not because you have to do it, but because your heart will not let you stop. A hungry That's it. A hungry person is a person who is driven to eat. A thirsty person is driven to drink and not just a little bit, to gorge. And so we need to be driven all the time to gorge on the things of God. You know, the bread and the water. The spirit, you know, and the and the word. And um, and then we need to be pure in heart. And that means we need to be single in focus. It, 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 when, you can, when you think about the Lord and you stop looking around at what somebody else is called to do and what somebody else is doing and not what you're doing and, and stop uh, making excuses um, but rather just get your mind focused on the living God and what you're supposed to be doing, my goodness, things are going to happen in all around you. You may not even know it. I mean, you know, I, I, I just think... Um, you know, Ron and Betty and their ministry, there's there are no telling how far those ripples go. Someday it's gonna be really cool to see, isn't it, Ron? You know, you threw your pebble right here in Little Bedford County. But I mean the ripples have gone everywhere. And I know on my end they've been all the way to Alabama and back. So, um, you know, and then I threw that stone that they gave me, I threw it in the pond down there. So I have no far how, how, idea how far that went. But if Ron hadn't thrown the first stone, where would I be? Do you know? So you, we have to stop looking at what somebody else is doing and just stay pure in heart. Focus on what God wants us to do. And then be encouraged. Because the truth is, the good news is, He wants to do it. He wants to use you. He wants to um, let you be a blessing in his kingdom. He, he desires that and he designed you and made you that way. Um, and when I was reading um, uh, Caroline Lee's book again, I, I'll just keep referencing this, sorry, but it's on my mind right now. Um, you know, she's talking about the fact that every cell in your entire body has the whole strain of your DNA in it. It's not like you just have DNA cells in your body. Every single cell in your body has your individual strain of DNA. And nobody else has that. Which means you are wired very specifically to be the kind of person you are. Now, the, to the point that you and I relinquish everything we are to the Lord... That's the point at which he can use us. And, that, and then I go right back to Paul again. And I think, you know, he was a raving maniac. He was a passionate, on-fire man for God. Highly religious, extremely proud and arrogant, and very well taught and um, absolutely incensed that somebody would come against his faith, come against what he believed about the living God. So incensed, that he was ready to kill people for it and stamp out a whole a new belief system. 
Um, God created him like that. But, but Paul, until he came under the control of the living God, was destructive with it instead of constructive. So yeah, a lot of Paul's life was spent in building um, an understanding of Scripture, but he needed that. He studied under Gamaliel, and he, you know, he needed that understanding in order for God to use him to teach the, the Gentiles in the future. So sometimes, even when you look at your life, you go, oh my gosh, from where I came from? Are you kidding? God's going to use me? But then you have to realize that... Um, your wiring without his control brought you to places where you learn some things that are going to help you when your wiring comes under the control of the living God. And your DNA strand is the only one that can do what God's called you to do where you are. Nobody else can do that but you. You are so unique. So then that brings us to this, this next thing. As a unique person, why are we wired the way we are? Why are we that unique person? What is it? What is the whole purpose of that? Um, there is this mass idea, you know, that God created mankind for himself because he loves us and wanted fellowship. All true. All true. But he also created us individuals. So there has to be a uniqueness about us that's special. You know, otherwise, we, we could all just be little robots running around. We could all, he could get the job done that way, just as easy as he could, you know, with this uniqueness that's in us. But God created colors and textures and shapes, and God created variety in every kind of existent living thing, and, and God created variety in us because his kingdom is variety. You know, his kingdom is that way. So Jesus said the Lord's Prayer, and, and I, for a long time, I, I used to kind of stumble over the Lord's Prayer. Go to Matthew 4. We're already in Matthew. Back up to Matthew 4. Um, because I, I viewed it kind of in exclusivity. Um, Matthew 4. Uh-huh, Matthew chapter 4. Um, I didn't think of it in terms of it being a part of the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount being that uh, sermon in which, and I'm sure Jesus preached that sermon over and over again. It wasn't like he just gave it once. Everywhere he went, he, he gave this sermon. But in this Sermon on the Mount, he speaks clearly about the Lord's Prayer. And... Um, in one, you know, in one of the, and I don't know which book, you know, the disciples come to him privately and say, teach us how to pray. But in Matthew, it's just a flow of Jesus talking here in the sermon about how to live your life. He says, and when you pray, go in your closet. Don't pray out loud so everybody can see you. Go in your closet and pray. And, you know, and he's still talking about the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, I'm sorry. The kingdom of heaven. Um, Matthew 6. Right. Mm -hmm. You said 4. Uh, I'm sorry, yeah, Matthew 6. Matthew 6. So he's still speaking about the kingdom of heaven. This is how, this is what it looks like. This is how it is. And um, 
And out of that flow, he begins to tell them, this is what you should pray. This is what's important. If it weren't important, he wouldn't have said it. So this is it. Look at um, verse 9. After this manner, pray therefore, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Next verse. Your kingdom come, your will be done in earth as it is in heaven. If, if God's kingdom were fully being enacted in the earth, there wouldn't have been any reason for Jesus to say, your kingdom come, your will be done. So then the question is, um, in the sense of the kingdom, how does it get done? How does the kingdom come? Well, it comes through us. The kingdom comes as it overtakes and encompasses, draws us in one person at a time. We're taking territory. And when the kingdom comes in us, because that's where the kingdom is, it's not outside of us, the kingdom of God is within. Then the kingdom of God can flow through us into the rest of the kingdom of heaven. And what happens then? We end up taking more territory. His kingdom comes further because we're walking around allowing God to take his kingdom through us into the world. So when Jesus is praying this prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We have a part in that. We have a big part in that. And um, I don't know, well, I mean, you know, when I started out as a little girl as a Catholic, um, you memorize prayers more than you memorize scripture. And then you repeat, 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 repeat. And the Lord's Prayer, you repeat, 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 repeat. And it, it meant nothing to me other than it was a prayer that would make God happy. I was trying to make God happy. Okay. And I never understood that Jesus was really asking specifically for something from the Father. And he was saying, Lord, I just want your kingdom to come here. And I want your will to be done here, just like it is in heaven. So you have to look at what his will is in heaven, you know, and it's the blessing of God. Everything in perfection, everything set right. And the only way that can happen in the earth is if the stewards of the earth come in line with the kingdom of God so that God can use us to bring everything in line. We, we put everything um, in place through the authority that's given to us in Jesus Christ. He says, you go into all the world now, you know, and preach the gospel and um, heal the sick and cast out the demons and put it all under your feet, which is the same thing as saying, bring the kingdom of God into this realm um, so that the will of God can be done here. And, and, and Jesus, by his very death and resurrection on the cross, opened the door for us to be able to do that. For that kingdom to be able to come. So I, I've started to see that prayer in, in a different way. And um, I think it's gonna, this is going to be the springboard um, on where we're going with the kingdom. Now we've, we've sort of chewed the kingdom up in so many ways about 
you know, the angels and the demons and the, you know, all that kind of stuff. And, and we'll talk about them. But um, I just want us to get into a place where we really understand what it is to um, be used so that God's kingdom can come and his will can be done. Because he's chosen to do it through us. And um, so where where I used to pray that prayer all the time, like, come on, God, do that down here. I'm realizing now we're a part of that prayer. You know, where we are a part of the answer to that prayer. And that God is not going to do it exclusive of us, but with us. So when you get the idea that no matter what you're called to do, it's important, equally important God's eyes as anybody else's job, and then you begin to translate that into your kingdom come, your will be done, there is a place for us um, uh, to see this answered prayer. You know, and, and so that's the way I'm going to go with this. Um, we're going to start just kind of looking at, at our role here and um, what that means and how we're called and how we're to be used. And um, so we'll be looking at some more parables, but this time I think we're going to look at them through a little bit of a different lens. Okay? So, okay, any comments or questions or anything? All right, you guys are quiet tonight. <laughs> We're meditating. Meditating, that's what it is. Receiving. Yeah. Thank you. All right. Well, I, how long are we going to get to keep you, Bets? Oh, for a long time. Good, 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 good. I'm glad. I know when the leaf starts to change, we start. I said when the leaf's not even Thanksgiving yet. There you go. That's exactly right. I just know when the leaves change, the sand is running through the hourglass. John gets restless. <laughs> yeah. Bless his heart. What did this old lady say the other day? Um... Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.